You know, when I was your age, go ask your mother. I know you don't like it. It builds character. How many times do I have to tell you? I'm not just talking to hear my own voice. Hello, listener, and welcome to Datages. I'm your host, Chad Hagel. And if you are looking for some fatherly wisdom for your career, your family, or any other aspect of your life, then you've come to the right place. If you want to learn more about Datages, find additional content, submit questions or feedback to me, or if you want to know if that mental picture you have of me after hearing my voice matches my real face, visit datages.com. Thanks for being here. And before you listen to our podcast, please listen to your father. Datages, friends and family, hello, and welcome back to Datages and the continuation of our timely discussion about time management. If you missed the last episode of Datages, I recommend you go back an episode to hear part one of the distance between success and failure in my career has been measured by one variable, the ability to create a sense of urgency. Don't worry, we'll be here when you get back. While the last episode was about creating a sense of urgency in business dealings in order to achieve success, today's episode is a little more nuts and bolts in nature. Today we are talking about project management and implementing an organizational structure that promotes achievement and success by embracing a commitment to return on time. As I shared previously, I make most business decisions based upon the return on my time. Likewise, I build business organizations focused on efficiency in order to operationalize the total commitment to a return-on-time business model. Legendary basketball coach John Wooden, who was as much a life coach before such a thing even existed as he was a basketball coach, literally wrote the book on an important philosophical and strategic mantra, be quick, but don't hurry. This notion is part of Wooden's Pyramid of Success. We'll put a link to the book in the bulletin board on datages.com. The point made by Wooden is that it is equally important to avoid making mistakes that can come from being hasty, while remaining diligent to make forward progress and get things done. As he says in one of his other books, balance is everything. Who knew that John Wooden was a Buddhist philosopher? For individuals, I think this balancing act comes from personal experience and developing sound judgment. But I believe that for organizations, the balance can't simply be entrusted to individual interpretation, because individuals in the organization likely lack the global perspective of every consideration that must be taken into account in setting organizational priorities and deadlines. And many junior team members in an organization responsible for on-the-ground decision-making may not have enough experience under their belt to be equipped to make such decisions. That's where it becomes so critical to build organizational structures and to clearly communicate the principles of a corporate culture in order to ensure that the balance between patience and progress is being applied in accordance with the overall goals and objectives of the organization. These parameters and philosophical approaches obviously vary from organization to organization. 
Today, I'm going to share with you some of the best practices and principles I have cultivated within my own organization. While I think much of what I'm going to share with you today can be applied pretty universally, I'm leaving it entirely up to you to try these principles on for size and only take from everything I share what fits you and your organization best. But before I get into all of that, let me share a concept with you. Critical Path Schedule Analysis, sometimes referred to as the Critical Path Method. An article in the Harvard Business Review entitled The ABCs of the Critical Path Method, originally published in, get this, 1963, describes the Critical Path Method as a powerful but basically simple technique for analyzing, planning, and scheduling large complex projects. In essence, the tool provides a means of determining one, which jobs or activities of the many that comprise a project are critical in their effect on total project time, and two, how best to schedule all jobs in the project in order to meet a target date at minimum cost. This may have come from 1963, but it still holds true today. Critical path analysis requires understanding the following. The tasks that make up a project, the resources that go into each task, the time required to complete each task, and the dependencies among the tasks. By dependencies, I mean understanding what tasks must be completed before other tasks. Tasks of this nature are referred to as predecessors. This type of analysis is fundamental to project management. And while the approach may seem completely logical and reasonable, you'd be surprised how many professionals involved in projects are unable or perhaps unwilling to take this type of analysis into consideration. There are lots of tools today that help project managers perform critical path analysis and communicate it to project resources. One of the most common and basic tools is Microsoft Project, which is used to generate Gantt charts. These very useful diagrams help to capture the dependencies, durations, sequences, and resources involved in project tasks very simply and visually. Microsoft didn't invent the Gantt chart, though, not by a long shot. It was developed by Henry Lawrence Gantt, who was a draftsman and mechanical engineer during the Civil War and the period of industrial expansion that followed it. The methods and tools of critical path analysis are the building blocks of project management. But the principles that guide the use of these tools are really the secret to good project management. We'll get into those principles now. My most basic principle of project management is this. There is no such thing as a task without a deadline. To illustrate this point, here's a little skit I've prepared for you entitled Chad's Conversation with a Junior Project Manager. I'll be playing the role of Chad. Wow, that's a stretch. I'm really pushing my range. And the part of the junior project manager will be played by, well, that's me also. I'm the only one here. Places, everyone. Chad. Hello, Junior Project Manager. How did your call with the architect go? Junior Project Manager. Oh, it went great. Chad. Glad to hear that. Did you get them working on the drawing we need? Junior. Oh, yes, they are happy to get it done for us. Chad. Great. When will it be complete? Junior. Well, he said that they're getting right to it. It's on their list of priorities. Chad. Okay, well, that's good. 
When does that mean they will finish it? Junior. Well, he didn't really say, but I know it's a top priority for them. Chad. All right, but we have a contractor waiting on that drawing. Did the contractor tell you when he needed it to not impact the project timeline? Junior. He said it's important. That's why I contacted the architect right away, just as you asked. Chad. So, you're telling me that you don't exactly know when the contractor needs it, and you haven't given the architect a deadline. Junior. Well, technically, I guess that's true, but I know these guys are good, and I know it's important. Uh, they know it's important, too, and I know they're going to get it done. Chad. When, though? Junior. Well, as, as soon as they can. Chad. Okay, let me ask you this. How much time do you think it will take the architect to complete the drawing in terms of man hours? Junior. Not too long. It's not that complicated. Probably just a couple hours. Chad. And when did you talk to the architect? Junior. On Tuesday. Chad. It's Thursday. Junior. Yeah? Chad. So, the architect was going to get it done as soon as he can? Junior. Yeah? Chad. And it only takes a couple of hours? Junior. Right. Chad. And that was Tuesday? Junior. Uh, yeah. Chad. Junior, please get a conference call set up so I can talk to the contractor and the architect by the end of the day. Junior. Will do. Did, did I do something wrong? Chad. Silence. And in scene. This was a non-hypothetical hypothetical situation. This not incredibly dramatic reenactment represents a scene that has played out in discussions with several inexperienced project managers inside of and outside of my organization over the years. It's in circumstances like this that I'm glad I have no hair. Otherwise, I'd be pulling it out. So I'm sure all of you in the Dadages friends and family can see what happened here. Junior understood the task that needed to be accomplished. He also understood that it was important. He failed to understand when the task would become time critical and when it would have an impact on the overall project in question. Junior failed to use critical path analysis. There's another nuance that's important to point out in this project comedy. Junior knew that the task at hand for the architect was a high priority, and he communicated to the architect that it was a high priority. But simply making something a priority is far different from knowing when it will be complete, let alone providing management and leadership to direct the resource doing the work as to when it needs to com be complete to avoid project impact. Junior also just blindly accepted at face value the notion that the architect in this example was making the work that we needed to have completed his top priority. Yet two days had passed, and the task requiring two hours of work hadn't been completed. Why? Because the architect was clearly prioritizing someone else's work ahead of the work we needed done. I'd be willing to bet he was prioritizing it because the other client had given him a deadline to meet. This leads me to my second important point regarding good project management. I don't believe in project management by priority, only by deadline. 
To make this point, let me present a scenario to you. There are two tasks, task A and task B. Task A is fundamental to the success of the company. It is absolutely mission critical. It consists of several steps which need to be complete in about six months. Task B is minor in comparison in both scope and how fundamental it is to the business of the company. Task B is associated with an event happening at the end of the week. Which task is the higher priority? It's really hard to say, right? Priority is such a subjective term. You could say the mission critical task, task A, is a higher priority because it is more important to the company. On the other hand, you could also say that task B is the higher priority because it needs to be complete this week versus six months from now. This is why assigning priorities is bad management from my perspective. When someone asks me, what is the top priority? I usually avoid answering the question altogether. It is a far more useful approach to identify when a task needs to be complete and to understand how much time completion of the task requires. This allows for much more effective decision-making and communication about the goal at hand. This deeper level of analysis and understanding allows a project manager to both understand and communicate what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, and why. And that's the third principle of project management. Explaining why is often as important as explaining when. Team members or outside consultants being managed will often respond more reliably to deadlines when they understand the reasoning behind them. When someone feels like they know the big picture and where their role fits into that picture, they will usually feel better and perform better in the task at hand. It also immunizes you from someone mistakenly thinking that they know better than you when something needs to be completed. If Jill knows that Jane needs her work product in order for Jane to do her job and that Jane needs to start her role on Tuesday, Jill can't mistakenly think she said she needs it Tuesday, but she doesn't really need it on Tuesday. I'll get to it later in the week. And while it's important to be transparent with the why in project management, it's not always beneficial to be transparent with the when. That may sound odd, but it brings us to the next principle. Plan for deadlines, but communicate due dates. Wait, aren't those the same thing? Not exactly. A deadline is when something actually needs to be done to avoid an impact to the critical path of a project. Deadlines are the key timeline data points in critical path analysis. Due dates, on the other hand, are the time markers communicated to project resources. Buffering due dates versus deadlines can be very helpful, but some secrecy is required for this technique to be employed. If the resources in the project know that the project manager is buffering, they will unbuffer the timelines in their own minds and fail to meet the assigned due dates. In short, it doesn't serve you well as the project manager of a complex project with multiple parts and multiple participants to over-educate those participants regarding actual deadlines versus due dates. Stick to the due dates. In this case, as you can see, semantics are important. Here's another such case. 
In project management, it is important to communicate in terms of action items versus tasks. Why? Tasks are assigned and followed, often begrudgingly. A good project manager is not a taskmaster. Instead, a good project manager gets buy-in from the resources involved in the project. This doesn't mean inviting others to take over leadership of a project. It just means that involving resources and setting the priorities in a project and the timelines associated with those priorities ensures that they are enfranchised in the process. It's difficult for those resources to later say that objectives and due dates were inappropriate or unreasonable. I prefer the term action item anyway, because the connotation, action, when you complete a task, you're just checking a box. When you complete an action item, you really get shit done. Doesn't that feel more rewarding? Here's the next project management principle. Doing something once is easy, but when you do it over and over again, you better have a process. I see this concept time and time in my business. There are many parts of our business that are repetitive processes. Some specific examples include searching for properties to acquire uh, or performing due diligence on properties and then marketing and leasing to tenants. Let's look at property evaluation. If I'm interested in a property and I want to evaluate it, I can do so relatively easily following a series of intuitive steps based upon asking a series of relevant questions and engaging the right resources to answer those questions. But as I start to evaluate two, three, four, maybe 10 properties at a time, two things happen. One, the amount of data and the number of moving parts goes up, way up. For this reason, sound data management is critical to a sustainable business process. Depending on what the particular process is, a database or CRM becomes critical to maintain discrete pieces of information in a structured format. Two, the volume of work at some point exceeds my capacity, and I have to delegate that work to someone else to manage. Particularly when delegation is required, process becomes doubly critical because I'm removing myself from the activity and must take some of the intuition and discretion out of the process. Having good procedures in place allows a less experienced resource to perform work without risk of mistakes being made. Finally, building these processes introduces resiliency. A well-run organization should never become dependent on any one person. People get sick, they leave, they stop performing effectively sometimes. If I know I have a good system in place, the impact of having to replace a resource is far less. I've tried to build my organization to be very plug and play. I think particularly in today's employment environment, this is really critical. Now, the last three points I'm going to make today regarding project management really have to do more with managing resources outside of an organization. I've talked previously about how my company relies heavily upon general contractors in pursuit of construction and how dealing with contractors is often the bane of my professional existence. So I will illustrate these three points in terms of engaging with and managing contractors. Here we go. 
The single most frustrating point in dealing with contractors is that they are far more prone to look for ways to not work than they are to look for ways to get work done. To combat this mindset, our team is taught to focus on this mantra. Don't let what you can't do prevent you from doing what you can. Here's a circumstance we faced on a recent construction project. We discovered during excavation a gas line that encroached onto our site and was not previously identified in any survey or public records. Unfortunately, the gas line was right in the location where we needed to construct a detention basin. The contractor freaked out and said the project has to stop. This is a critical path delay. There's nothing we can do about it. We're at the mercy of the gas company. It could be weeks. Sounds pretty catastrophic, right? Well, it was certainly a complicated situation. And while we were certainly at the mercy of the gas company, the project didn't actually need to stop altogether. We were able to isolate the area of the site in question, avoid impacting the critical path, and have the contractor move on to complete the remainder of the site and the building while awaiting a resolution with the gas company. In the end, there was an impact from the issue, but it didn't cause the entire project to grind to a halt as the contractor would have done without proper management from us as the developer. This concept of don't let what you can't do prevent you from doing what you can obviously applies to many facets of business and life and is so important that I might elevate it to dadage status and come back to do a full episode on this mindset. The next principle is very much a corollary to the last one. You have to do everything you can before you can pressure anyone to do even one thing you need them to do. Listen to that once more. You have to do everything you can do before you can pressure anyone to do even one thing you need them to do. Again, this approach applies in many facets of business, but I will illustrate it in the context of dealing with contractors. Because contractors have this mindset of trying to find reasons not to do things, they can also be very resistant to efforts by management to push them to get things done. And if a contractor can push back on you as a manager and say, well, you didn't do this thing or get me this information, then you've really lost your leverage in pushing the contractor to move forward. Certainly, there may be logical arguments to defeat the resistance from the contractor, but usually that's all you get, an argument. I try to coach my team to avoid the argument altogether by being above the resistance. What does that mean? Don't create an excuse by leaving anything unaddressed. Do every single thing that could possibly be expected of you as the project manager so no one can point to something missing as an excuse not to perform as directed. Some of this is about leading by example. But as I said, most of this is just to stay out of the fray, anticipate illogical resistance, and avoid unnecessary arguments. It's the easiest way to get things done in my experience. And speaking of getting things done, that's my final principle of project management to share with you today. There are many definitions of the word done. As a project manager, you must clearly define what done means for your project. In construction, we actually have multiple definitions of completion that carry distinct and important meanings in the cycle of construction and under the construction contract with the general contractor. 
The first is substantial completion. As the name indicates, this is the point in time at which the majority of the work on a project is complete and the project is generally ready for occupancy. In fact, one of the key aspects of substantial completion is that the city will issue a certificate of occupancy, or as we call it, C of O. But it's important to recognize that the city's requirements for issuing a C of O may not fully meet the definition of substantial completion under a contract. The project architect is responsible for understanding and applying the contractual definition of substantial completion and issuing the architect's certificate of substantial completion when those criteria are met. Very often, a general contractor will try to argue that a project is complete once the city issues the CFO, which is why a contract must be well written in this regard and the project manager must understand and communicate effectively what needs to be done. The final stage of completion of a construction project is final completion. I know, shocking. Final completion is when there is no more work to be done whatsoever and the contractor can go home. Some key tasks for final completion include finishing the punch list, the, the list of items left to be cleaned up or fixed, to the satisfaction of the tenant and the owner, and providing a variety of paperwork, or closeout documentation as we call it, to the owner. This paperwork includes warranties, operations manuals, and as-built plans showing any deviations from the original design drawings. Getting contractors across the finish line on these details can be very time-consuming and frustrating. Often we have to step in and supplement the contractor, which means we have to do this final administrative work for the contractor in order to get it right. It's not easy to get something truly done. My first business partner in real estate, as I've shared in the past, was Damon Dunn. D-U-N-N. We often used to joke that something might be done, but it's not really done until it's Damon Dunn. Damon was definitely a closer and was good at getting things done. And now, we're done. We've come to the end of our episode. I hope you've enjoyed this two-part series on the distance between success and failure. And until next we meet, friends and family, here's a dad joke about very poor time management. I stayed up all night wondering where the sun went. Then it dawned on me. I can't take credit for that one. It came from the HBO series The Last of Us. I guess even professional television writers embrace bad dad jokes. Dadages friends and family remember, dad may not always know what he's talking about, but he sure can sound like he does. Thank you for listening to Dadages. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to visit dadages.com and subscribe to the Dadages podcast to get notified for future episodes. You can rate or review on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Why? Because I'm your father, and I said so. Just a little respect is all I ask for. I put a roof over your head and food on the table, and what do you do? No, tell me exactly what do you do, because I'm doing everything. I'm paying for everything. No, get back here. Get back here right now.